Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories and we'll be joined by various business people each episode to discuss the news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting out their legal problems. Thanks for listening to this intro and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to episode five of The Business Herald podcast. This week I'm once again joined by James Blacklaws and uh, substituted uh, this week is Neil Wattam of WKM Wealth. Neil, do you want to introduce yourself to start with? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Um, yes, my name is Neil Wattam, and I'm a co-director of a recently launched uh, investment management and financial planning business. Um, so we're based uh, just outside Leicester. Four of us, and now we've just con- um, brought into our first employee and um, look forward to today's show. Thanks, Stephen. Excellent. And uh, joined again by James. James, if you can say something interesting or different about yourself, that would be great. I'm not sure about interesting or different, Stephen, but um. I'm obviously James Blacklaws, JB Commercial Finance, and it's good to be here again. And thank you for inviting me along, Stephen. That's all right. James, you've got, um, so people know that are listening uh, to this, you're not just uh, someone that's involved in finance. You've got actual academic background to this, haven't you? I might be stretching a bit, but I have, a, I have an economics degree from Leicester University. That's why, yeah. There you go. So, so we've got some expert comment uh, happening this week so um so this week there's the three big main stories uh, that have come out in the business and economics uh world are in relation to uh jobs and the announcement of uh, the job statistics inflation and um the, the bank of england's decision on base rates so we're going to have a look at um each one of those this week and talk about some other things as well um but firstly james the the, the job loss situation is this is this just all negativity from the from the press? Everything is all negative at the moment. Seven hundred thousand job losses since the start of the pandemic. More to come. Are we just seeing um, the, the the press and the and the newspapers being really ultra negative about things, or is it you know this is a reality? What do you think? I think it's the the beginning of reality. Um, no one can be surprised at a significant amount of job losses following what's happened. Um, and obviously the, the government are duty bound to report the unemployment figures. So these figures would have to be presented anyway. And, it's, and with, the, with the best will in the world, it's very hard to spin a huge amount of positivity on these figures at this moment in time. It's what, um, it's what comes next. That's the key thing with you know, seven figures of people still on the furlough scheme. And many of those we expect, and we've discussed this in the past, to join the unemployment figures in the upcoming months. It's, um, first of all, what's gonna be happening in the next three months, how these figures will be reported. And secondly, what's the plan for employers and for the government to actually get these people back to work so they can be contributing again to um, to the massive deficit which HMRC are gonna to have to repay. Um, that's been taken on because of COVID. So. I don't think the reporting has necessarily been massively negative. The, the general feeling I have seen from these figures is that it's been reported as 
bad, but not maybe as bad as um, was expected. Because as we know, some employers have taken on members of staff, certainly the lower level um, skills members of staff. And um, I think that the general feeling is that this is the start of something which is going to have impacts for several months, if not years to come. Mm, yeah, I mean, one of the things I found uh, interesting about the stats, so the, the stats showed 700 and something thousand job losses since the start of the pandemic. Um, but the, those statistics only go until the end of July. And of course, during that period of time, we had the, the furlough scheme, the coronavirus job retention scheme, as it's formerly known. And so those 700,000 people are people that businesses have made redundant, got rid of or cut jobs, even though the government was going to be paying all of their wages or 80% oh, of their wages. And so I, I find actually, I, I think that the, the statistics over the next quarter and the quarter after are going to be the, the, the ones that are really interesting. If we've lost 700,000 jobs when the government was supporting them, what happens when fellow ends? I know there was one um, one survey um, that, that that came out this week that suggested that um, there would be a, a another ten percent of the people that are on furlough um, being made redundant at the end of it. Ten percent of the people on furlough is about two hundred thousand um, uh, job losses. I, I read somewhere else that there's, there might be another seven hundred thousand job losses still to come. Uh, either way, it's there's there's a huge um, huge number to come and, and um, yeah, it's, it's not, not something that is easy coming down the line. But if you're a small business owner, is that not just scope for opportunity? There's a, there's a bigger job market, um, bigger uh, employee market available and you've got the option to pick and choose the right people. I mean, Neil, you've, you, you're a new business, um, experienced uh, in the business world, of course, but you've taken the opportunity to find and recruit somebody. Um, is, is the pool of employees just going to be better because of all these job losses and that makes it better for small businesses to recruit? What, what do you think? It, it is interesting. I mean, uh, on a few uh, discussions recently about recruitment, it is still actually quite a hot topic for small businesses from what I've seen, despite obviously some people unfortunately losing their jobs in others, but there are still a number of smaller businesses recruiting. And as you said, we have just taken on our first employee but it actually, in a way, makes it tricky, as in the pool of potential employees is relatively large now. And I think the one comment was made about the ease of which people can actually apply for jobs, depending on how you, you set them out, and which can actually make it tricky to kind of sift through and try and really get to the best people, because actually it's kind of one click apply in some circumstances. But we actually found that, yeah, making our job available and um, advertising it in the right way made it, made it easier to get the right person and get the right sort of person into our um, company rather than a bit of a blanket, let's just get jobs out there and see who comes in. Um, but I think it's the it's the younger people that are really fearful. Young, you know, uh, the stats do suggest they've been most, most affected. Um, and in our case, we weren't, we were age agnostic. It didn't really matter at all. It's more about getting the right person, but I do think that presents that challenge of the pool is so big that actually recruiting the right one from the bigger pool could be quite quite difficult potentially. Yeah, the, and I think I think that's right. Yeah, the, the the statistics showed that the 16 to 24 year olds they were the ones that were the most affected out of all of the redundancies. Um, and there's two schools of thought that I've seen 
on um, on that. And one is because um, employers generally have this perception that that age bracket um, are lazy. They don't work hard. They don't do the job. They don't work, um, you know, all the hours. They don't do this X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and so that's why, you know, they get cut first. Um, another view that I've seen and read um, in a few different places is that the employers are missing an opportunity there by having, you know, young youngsters come in that are more familiar with tech, more familiar with, you know, the online world, um, able to adapt easier, um, you know, they're, they're not sort of stuck in their ways um, as much as, you know, someone that's been there for 20 years. Are employers just missing a trick by not getting the, the, the youth people in? Is that something that the, maybe the government should should help with, uh, you know, to try and encourage? I know they've, they, they, they've brought out the, the kickstart, um, you know, uh, fund, but it's not available to, to small businesses. Is that something that actually small businesses should be looking at taking advantage of the, that workforce that's available and going, yeah, come on board and help me to change my business from, you know, face-to-face -face traditional sales funnel routes to going online to be able to communicate in different ways using new software and, and advancements in technology. Is that something, James, do you think um, uh, would benefit businesses or is it just, you know, they're, they're useless? I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that businesses grow and develop through the introduction of new members of staff and fresh ideas. And we've seen um, a technological change in the last 20 years, which has, probably, has never been seen before. Um, and working in the finance industry, there's an awful lot of what I would call younger people involved. And by younger people, I mean people in the, maybe their 30s who have grown up in the technological age because of the rise of the, the fintech lender. So a lot more lending is now automated. A lot of um, what's required does require an element of computer literacy. So um, there, there's an awful lot of that. But there, there still seems to be a general perception. And I think a lot of it comes from um, reverse ageism in that we all think, you know, the, the younger generation aren't as, aren't as clever as we are. But I, I think a lot of it also comes from previous government schemes to get young people in employment. When you, when you talk about YTS schemes, generally people talk about them in quite a negative way, that they, they had to go through YTS because they weren't seen as bright enough to do A-levels or go to college. And I think until the, until the, um, the perception that apprenticeships or similar schemes like the Kickstart scheme actually are equally valid as the more academically traditional route of A-levels in university, there'll probably always be an element of doubt about some young people's ability to, to be employed in jobs where they do require responsibility. And personally, to answer your question, yes, I do think there's a massive trick being missed here. And um, I was at a meeting this morning where one of the one of the lads there was 20 years old, and that, you know, I don't mind admitting that's, that's half my age, and yet he was very, very capable and competent and you wouldn't know it was a 20 year old who was a couple of years out of out of education and it'd be an asset to any business. And I, I don't I don't see there's any issue at all with employing people as long as they are the right people for the right the right job. Yeah. Well, we talk about um, recruitment and I, I mentioned earlier a little bit of negativity in the press. <clears throat> One story that's in in the newspapers today is a CBI survey. 
and it said um, the headline said that 41% of businesses are cutting back on making no recruitment plans. Um, but actually, when you dig deeper and look at the survey, the options for it were A, are you cutting back on making no recruitment plans? Or B, are you increasing or maintaining your recruitment plans? And actually, 51% of businesses said that they were maintaining or would increase their recruitment policy. So that's a, that was a really good thing, I think. 51% of businesses are looking at recruiting right now. 41% might not be. 51% of businesses are actually actively looking at recruiting. And I think um, where we've got uh, such a, a, a job market and such an unemployment as, uh, uh, where it's at, 4.1% people unemployed at the moment, it, it shows me that actually the, those businesses that are doing okay, that, um, that are restructuring their business, restructuring their, their sales, um, you know, delivery, approaching online, uh, you know, those kind of businesses, some of the retail ones who had results this week, but, you know, things are doing okay. Actually, I think that um, it's not all bad. If you're, if you're in that age group, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't perhaps worry about it. I, I obviously see a lot of people being made redundant at the moment. Um, and they generally seem to be quite pessimistic as an, on an individual basis about how long it will take them to find a job. But certainly then when I see people on LinkedIn, I think people are finding jobs and finding roles, um, you know, actually relatively quickly. And it's, it's working for those, <clears throat> those organizations that are actually doing okay. And, and in the news this week, we've had quite a lot of good news in reality. There's been a lot of um, uh, results announced where businesses are doing okay. Um, we don't like to... We don't like to, I think, as a, as a nation, as a press, I don't think we like to congratulate people like Amazon for doing so well. Um, but the, the, the truth of the matter is they're employing people, they're growing, and, um, and they're getting a lot of business. And, um, and we see you know, businesses like Next, you know, that haven't done great, and the negativity in the press was that it was all down, but actually they, they're still making money, and they're still, uh, as, a, as a company, they still appear to be upbeat. John Lewis, the, the headline was that they um, made a massive loss and they're not paying a, a bonus. But actually, the, the, the fundamentals of it seem like they're still, they're still doing stuff. They're still making business. Remarkably, Zara was the one that, um, that I was surprised about. I know Zara is quite a big company and I, I have a, what seems like a direct debit payment to them every month. But um, their sales were 75% down. Um, but they still made a profit, and um, and their sales for the latter, for, for Q2 were 4.7 billion. That's a massive amount of uh, a massive amount of numbers, um, really. I think Stephen, the, the the point about the the sort of negativity in that the our UK economy is based on consumers pretty much, and you need to have confidence in our society in general to help the economy grow and prosper. And, you know, if people did flick that headline of the 50 odd percent actually hiring rather than the 40 odd percent who are less hiring or not, then I don't know, it can just it can get into the psyche a little, I, I would suggest, on the basis that people will read the headline and think, oh, I might not spend that. I might not do that on the basis that actually is the world going the right way. If you're unemployed, I'd, I'd, and you're in that unfortunate position, 
it's not going to help your mindset at all. Um, but if the headlines were slightly skewed, not to make it too rosy, keep it real, but equally, you know, there are opportunities out there. And I think if you do look and people are trying hard, they'll find them. But I think you need to give people a bit of hope and a bit of confidence that things are out there. Yeah, one of the, one of the um, mini stories that I saw that I thought was, was really good, um, it was good PR for, uh, for Waitrose. They're making some, some more store closures. Um, and, and it was only a small number of redundancies, or maybe 140, 150 redundancies, something like that. But they've told staff that they would pay um, up to £3,000 for them to get a new qualification, go on some sort of retraining. And actually, that's not that, that's a really nice idea from an employer's point of view. It's not going to cost them a huge amount of money given their background. It's just that these stores aren't working for them right now. And, and I thought actually something like that would be probably beneficial for a government scheme. You know, Rishi's talked about um, earlier on this week to come up with some creative ways of you know, still continuing to support the, um, uh, the economy going and jobs in particular. And maybe something like a, you know, a retraining grant to allow people to get some extra qualifications might be, might be a good idea, might be a good idea. And we also saw this week uh, on Wednesday, the updated figures for inflation. Um, that was down uh, to 0.2% last month, which is the lowest it's been since 2015. It's caused, they say, by lower spending in cafes and restaurants due to the eating out to help out scheme and the VAT cuts. Um, flights and clothing prices also down. These offset against by increases in games, toys, hobbies, accommodation, road transport and secondhand cars. James, the inflation, I always see the inflation um, stories. Is that something really that a small business needs to bother about? Do they need to really worry about inflation figures? Does it affect them? Yeah, I mean, inflation's um, astonishingly important. And, and, and ultimately, the two main things in reality, once you break it all down, which the Treasury and the whole economy is concerned about, are the two things we've discussed here, which is unemployment and inflation. Everything else really is, is a mechanism to try and control these two things. And um, inflation being 0.2% in it might sound like a very positive thing to a lot of people in that the, the cost of the money that they've the, the value of the money they've got in their wallet is, is not going down as it generally does but um there's a couple of things first of all absolutely right the majority of this dip has been caused by the the, the new eat out scheme which has led to an increase in people spending at restaurants but obviously half that money is is not actually counting these inflationary figures um, but secondly, there's a reason the Bank of England's inflation target is 2% and not zero. It's because some inflation is actually healthy because it has a positive impact on the flow of money, has a positive impact on wages, and has a positive impact on exports. So 0.1%, um, so 0.2%, to apologise, inflation rate, plus a 0.1% base rate, which I know we're going to get to at some point, um, it does it, it's all a little bit concerning and you, you know, and there's there's the possibility if the, the value of money doesn't go up we could be seeing a, ne a negative interest rate we could be seeing the value of money going down it's an incredibly unusual situation um and we have to be very careful the hmrc has to be very careful how they manage the situation how they report these figures but i think it is 
fair to say that inflation at 0.2% is, to quote a reasonably commonly used term, unprecedented, certainly in recent times. And getting it back nearer the 2% mark is probably actually desirable long term for the economy. Yeah, Neil, any thoughts as well on that? Yeah, I guess the inflation um, for me often tends to be a bit of a personal thing because we've all got kind of a, effectively a personal inflation that we bear. But uh, as an SME owner, I guess, um, as albeit relatively recent, I don't think inflation's been on the radar, possibly because it's been so low um, as a generic sort of um, view. Um, but it's one that I suppose can creep up. And if you don't pay attention to what's going on in the economic world and what might happen around the corner and you get wrapped up in the, oh, I don't have to drive to work anymore or I'm paying less because I'm using less in my business or whatever your inflation drivers are. But you can kind of get swept along with it. Oh, it's okay. And it won't, it won't come back or it's never, it's not a concern. Actually, you've got to kind of keep your finger on the pulse, I think across the patch um, and things could come out and you know if you I don't know fuel has and oil prices haven't done much but it could and if you're a, a business that heavily heavily reliant on fuel and you're looking at inflation going it's only 0.2 percent then you could just be caught out I guess in my sense but as a recent owner and a recent launcher it's not on my radar but it probably should be more so mm. and and is the uh, the same same extent as the Bank of England base rate, you know, for, for business owners, if they're, um, you know, not paying finance, don't have loans, um, you know, they're quite a small organisation. Is it something that they're too interested in right now? Um, or is it something that actually, you know, most people do keep an eye on? Um, I don't know. I don't I don't know if it's if it's at the forefront of their mind, but they're at the effect of both of them. Um, will be at some point, like you say, if inflation does go up, all of a sudden the things that they're spending money on go goes up in price, which means less profit, less money to take home at the end of the day. So it does have an effect on on small businesses, just whether or not they necessarily realise it's at the forefront of their mind. The um, the Bank of England um, looked at uh, made their decision this week. Um, they said that the economy remains massively uncertain. They, they, you know, no one really knows how to predict what to predict. And so they kept the base rates um, on hold at 0.1%. Uh, the, the minutes show that they were considering the effect of, or what might need to happen if base rates went negative. Um, but James, the reality of it is, I, I think base rates probably aren't gonna change for a while. Is that, is that your view? Well, base rate came down to half a percent in, I believe it was 2008. And I remember at the time predicting it would be back to 4% within two years. And we're now in 2020 and it's 0.1%. Mm. So to, to pick on something Neil just mentioned about base rate not really being on a, an SME owner or indeed anyone's real radar at this moment in time, I think that's because we've had it so low for so long. Um, and that's never certain. Well, 0.5% was was an unheard of base rate figure. So 0.1% is um, even more so. But granted. Well, absolutely. And I, and I think as, as business owners, as homeowners, we do. And to talk about the potential impact on SME owners of a, of a base rate increase, you're absolutely right. If you borrow money, it's significant because every... 1% increase in base rate would cost you an extra £1,000 
an interest a year on a £100,000 commercial mortgage or a commercial finance facility or indeed a home mortgage. So these things are always on a tightrope. And I think we have to be very um, aware that while it's unlikely base rate is going to go up for a significant period of time, it's something as a business owner you should be prepared for because it can happen. And, it can, and we tend to see over the years, once it happens, it happens very quickly, base rate increases. I'm sure that some listeners will remember the good old days of uh, the Labour government of the late 70s or the, the Thatcher government of the late 80s, early 90s, where we had relatively high base rates and relatively rapid base rate increases. So it's something to be conscious of. And um, it's something which when you're looking to hedge anything, whether it's uh, a mortgage or it's a commercial loan, you need to consider, give some considerations to your fixed costs and look at the potential of fixing your interest rate because it's highly possible that you could be caught unaware by a base rate increase. Yeah, yeah. we we're um because of the nature of our business, we have to kind of keep cash, so um, which is good in a in a sense. But when you there's you know the interest was not a lot, and now it's just negligent. Well, it's nothing, um, which is just um, yeah, it's not a lot of fun. But I think from a, a personal perspective, and I suppose from a business as well people might start thinking of taking some risks um, with their money on the basis of trying to get better uh, returns on their money, whether it is their business money or uh, personal. And I guess that's the risk where, you know, people read things in headlines, again, back to sort of media and you Google search to get best interest rate on some account and you could get um, tied in. I guess it's a case of usually doing your due diligence, talking to perhaps colleagues, peers, friends, before going, um, getting too adventurous. But that's, I guess, a concern for people that they do go down that route. Um, not that we would, clearly, but... Um, it, well, it I, think, I think it's highly possible. I mean, there's been talk about the Bank of England actually introducing negative interest rates, which if you, if you apply it to its logical conclusion means that if you've got money in the bank, you would be paying the bank to actually hold the money for you, potentially. And I think at that stage, any investor, whether it's through a, a bond or similar through someone like yourself, Neil, or whether it's someone who's just got money sat in a, in a cash ISA, is going to look at alternatives to actually having to pay for a bank to hold their money in there. So I do think that there will be people making investment decisions based on the base rate if it continues to stay at 0.1% or indeed goes down in lower. Okay, so something completely different um, then moving on from that. Something that caught my eye this week, two stories um, about uh, alcohol consumption. Cider, cider consumption dropped uh, during lockdown by half a million litres a week and beer sales have dropped down by 10-15%. Um, now, I don't drink alcohol, but what's going on? <laughs> has, has everyone gone teetotal during, during lockdown? It's not, not for want of effort this end, I have to say. You're trying to keep the economy going yourself. Yeah, I, I like to do my bit, to be honest. Absolutely. Has anything else caught your eye, gentlemen, uh, in this week's news stories that, uh, that we should be talking about today? I think it's possibly worth, and this is something I know that you've highlighted in the past, but um, the talk about f football, for instance, and the various leisure activities in this country, the amount of money sloshing about compared to 
the everyday fan and the everyday person. The reason I'm mentioning it now is because of two stories this week, and that's um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signing a new contract at Arsenal, allegedly on £300,000 a week, Mm. and the impending transfer of Gareth Bale to Tottenham, where Tottenham are having to meet half his wages, which is still going to be over £300,000 a week. And as I mentioned, I know you've commented on this kind of thing in the past and the, the inequality, but that surely is going to become more and more prevalent. And I wonder at some point if there will be some kind of backlash against this um, by the working class fan. Well, I mean, it's an interesting one. Football football as a, as a economy in itself, as a uh, venture, has always relied upon the support of the working class people to, to go along to the matches and pay the season ticket prices and and go to the games and buy the, you know, once when it went televised by Sky Sports and, you know, Virgin BT and all of that. And um, I, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's it's stopping or slowing down. I think it's absolutely unbelievable that Gareth Bale's been on 700,000 um, a week uh, for the last seven years and, and done some, you know, played, played a couple of matches and played golf um, from a business point of view. I imagine that uh, drain on your... Uh, your finances and no return on your investment, um, but it's just it's just part and parcel of the the game, isn't it? These days, you know, the, the costs go up, the season tickets, the prices go up, the shirts go up, you know, the pie and a pint they all go up, everything goes up. It's an expensive hobby to have if you're a if you're a massive football fan, but most of the massive football fans I know don't care, and they're still going to go and do it. And they'll gripe about it every year that the season ticket price comes out and it's gone up again, but they'll still still renew because it's just what they do on a Saturday afternoon. Well, my concern with on the football side is, is as much in grassroots. Uh, my dad's heavily involved with a local team, and I don't know the details of what's happened to the FA Cup, but I think they've cut the funding to or the prize money, etc., for lower, lower being, I say, suggest sub-championship. I don't know the details. But it's that they need the support and you know they've got this massive club still paying these massive wage bills so they obviously and the premier league and the sky all that stuff can support that to a degree for how long don't know but the trickle down in the cuts to you know the various funding for lower leagues and and uh, those smaller clubs i really fear for it and that's where there's still a huge amount of fan base um who go to watch their smaller teams weekend or did i should say and maybe it's harder to access them at the moment because they're not on Sky or Amazon or wherever they else they're being shown. So I guess I've got a concern that the yeah the, you've got this continual divide that's ever getting larger. And because of lockdown and the, the rules we currently live in, that's just going to get worse. It doesn't particularly affect SMEs, I doubt, but they are SMEs in their own right, all these clubs um, who are probably going to struggle. It can be an opportunity as well, though. I mean, my um, youngest son is involved in a, in a football team. He plays on a regular basis. And I think that SMEs, if they're looking to get more creative with how they get their message across, supporting a football team via sponsorship is actually a very affordable and potentially high-profile way to get your name out there if you use that opportunity correctly. And that's something that I'm in discussions with at the moment with this particular team. And it doesn't cost a huge amount of money to splash your shirt everywhere. And from there, you can use it as a social media opportunity. So I think we are going to see people, SME owners, getting more creative of how they 
advertise things. And it would be amazing if some of them did take an interest in grassroots football because mm. I absolutely agree with you, Neil, that not just the, the adults in the Sunday league, but the money filtering through to the children's level, it is very, very challenging. And while the Premier League clubs and the, and the championship clubs are able to have the resources to get scouts to bring kids in and look after them and groom them, it's a lot more challenging for kids to get to that level because the opportunities for clubs to have good facilities, proper kit, etc., is reducing. So I, I encourage everyone to, every business owner, even if they don't like football, consider it an opportunity to actually sponsor a team. If you've got a kids team, there are plenty around and it's a great way for some corporate responsibility and a good way to get your name out there and probably a lot cheaper than taking an advert in the yellow pages. Of course, not just, uh, not just football, actually. So I know um, locally, the uh, City of Leicester Swimming Club, they were, you know, had some financial funding issues just because everyone's on lockdown and not been able to swim, not been able to get, um, you know, to events and make some money that way. So I think that, I think they were doing a, a, like a crowdfunding um, type raising of, of uh, money, which involves sponsorship as well. So, you know, as you said, put, Chuck, chuck in 500 quid and then you get to sponsor this thing for the year um, and that also helps them out. My, my daughter's little hockey uh, team again in Leicester, um, you know, same kind of basis. They've not had people going in every, every uh, week to the clubhouse, spending some money there. And so they're trying to find ways in which they can raise a bit of funding. So I think it's not, not just football, although football obviously is one of those, you know, it's the the main British sport, it seems, you know, certainly the most high profile. It's the monolith. It is, yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the most high profile, um, you know, sports in terms of elite and where the money's at. Um, and, I, and I do agree, I think, fundamentally, that it, it all needs to filter down to have, um, uh, you know, someone like Gareth Bale, I know he's not been in this country, so can't uh, can't have a go at him. Um, but him being on £700,000 a week, my brain is not quick enough to work out what that is a year. But if you actually, you know, took a, there was a 10% charge on that that went to grassroots um, football, then that's a, quite a lot of money being distributed to, you know, the sports club just from one player. So, yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting uh, one. Um, Neil, did you have any, any interesting stories that caught your eye this week? I think my I was having a look, but the the thing to, that caught me actually was the the return of the Bake Off. Um, that's um, I, I, we don't get a lot of time to watch telly um, with two young children and busy work lives, etc. But um, I'm hoping that might bring a bit of positivity back to people and get people out again. Because I know there was at the beginning of lockdown there was the whole can't get flour. We we make our bread and we couldn't get flour bread flour for a long time. Um, so Do you think that's going to be the first week of making, it's going to be a banana loaf? Do you think that's um, the lockdown classic of making banana yeah. bread? Do you think that's what's going to be on the first week of the Bake Off? I hope not, because I'm not a fan. Um, <laughs> but um, I, hopefully it's something like a caramel shortbread, that would be my cup of tea. Um, but yeah, I think just another, it's a, it's another thing to get the British people talking and maybe a bit kind of, oh, did you see it, optimistic and, you know, it's a light bit of relief, I think. It is. It is. It is, it, is, it is kind of. We need it, don't we? I think as a as a society, um, you know, we kind of we do perhaps have a bit of a pessimistic view generally on things. The the press always, you know, tend to report on things 
negativity from a negative point of view um, and things like that yeah maybe it's a way of encouraging people just to you know everything's going to be all right in the end it's we'll, we'll get through this particularly all the you know the lockdowns the imminency of what appears to be yet another national lockdown maybe coming around the corner perhaps we should just get paul hollywood to be your prime minister instead <laughs> Great. Thanks very much, guys, for your contributions to this week's podcast. It's been great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here again this evening. Thank you very much. Excellent. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a review on your podcast app. Subscribe and tell your friends and family to listen if you found it interesting. Found it interesting. You can subscribe uh, to the newsletter that comes out every Friday at 3 o'clock. Uh, on our website at www.businessherald.co.uk and we'll see you again next Friday. Thanks very much for listening.